Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. Social entrepreneurship, you know, it's this matchup of lots of different things. I think what we're trying to do is just give a message to young people that it's about identifying things that you're interested in, and it can be cars, it can be a mechanic, it could be a lobster or a truck driver, or it could be curing cancer, or it could be, the most important thing is just being honest with yourself about what you really care about, and then really having the courage to like double down on it. We've been doing road trimation for 12 years now, so it, the, the early days, it felt like nothing was happening, you know, and, and like that it was going painfully slowly, you know, and that we didn't even know where it was going to go or what we should do or if we should go get jobs at Starbucks or whatever, you know, and, um, but we just kind of kept hanging in there and, and little tiny things kept happening. I'm very pleased today to be able to introduce Mike Mariner. Mike set up Road Trip Nation to help students to find their own roads in life. The aim is to expose students to myriad careers and life paths they would not otherwise know about and to help them with tools and skills they need to achieve their ambitions. To date, in partnership with the California Department of Education, the curriculum has guided over 80,000 low-income students to build their own road trip projects. Thank you very much, Mike, for taking the time to speak to us today for Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs. It's a privilege to talk to you. And I would like to get a sense, really, of, of where this all began and um, how you came to set up and build uh, Road Trip Nation. It's kind of a funny story because people always think that we had some grand vision for Road Trip Nation, you know, at the beginning or that it was like a business plan or some type of thesis project, but it was really just me and my two buddies who were in school and we had no idea what we wanted to do with our lives. And we realized that a lot of the tools in school don't really do a good job of helping you find your path in life. Um, and so we thought that maybe a better approach would be to learn from real people's stories and learn from their life insights, lessons, failures, obstacles they'd overcome in terms of how they figured out what they wanted to do with their lives. So it was a really simple idea. And then we thought, let's build a road trip project and strand all those interviews together. And my buddy had an old beat up motorhome that we fixed up, um, you know, for a couple of months. And then we cold call people all across America. And that, that was really the beginning. It was just a simple road trip after graduation to try to figure out what we wanted to do with our lives. Um, we got a little bit of publicity around that road trip. So some major uh, American magazines like Forbes, you know, covered the trip. And then that led to a connection with an editor at Random House, the big New York book publisher. So we had this chance to write a book about our road trip after we had gotten home. Um, and the book came out, gosh, I think it was almost 10 years ago now. Uh, it didn't sell very well at first, but then we got on some big major news shows like CNN and the Today Show and NBC, and it became the 15th best-selling book in America and around the, on Amazon.com. And around that time... Um, that's when you know it really started to take off, and we were the publisher put us on the speaking tour. We went to schools all across America, and that was when we had our had our first epiphany for Road Trip Nation because you know the students there, even though the book was selling well, it wasn't enough for the students. You know they they were also in the same shoes that we were in in school, doing the day to day thing, but still asking that bigger aspirational question, which is what do I want to do with my life? And there was there were no tools or experiences in school to help kids figure that out. And so we started to think, 
we could tell that the students didn't want to live vicariously through our road trip. They wanted to have their own transformational experiences. And that's when we started imagining Road Trip Nation as something bigger than just a book, but something more of a, as a platform or a movement that could really empower students everywhere to, you know, explore what was possible for their futures. And that's what we've been building for, for 10 years. But that, those were really kind of the early, the early roots. Well, it sounds like a, the right idea at the right time. And, and it's a, a lot of serendipity, which is, which is always good. Um, you mentioned Random House and the, the, the press coverage and so forth. Did that just fall into place or did somebody know somebody? Because uh, when people are starting out like that, I mean, things have changed a lot in the last 10 years and there's so much fragmentation and, you know, social media and, and, and so forth. Did you have special, you know, connections or so forth at, at the beginning or did it just kind of fall into place? No, we had, we had no connections at the beginning. We were like... Um, we were cold calling people to do interviews with. And some of these people that we had inter done interviews with really kind of got behind our projects. And, and they knew people at Forbes and said, hey, you should cover this, this thing, you know. And um, in, in particular, um, we interviewed the CEO of Barnes & Noble, Len Regio. And, you know, I think that the Forbes writer came along, I think, because she didn't really believe that we were interviewing him. She was trying to, like, bust us or something, you know. <laughs> um, and and so, yeah, no, but we, we had no connection. We weren't filmmakers. We had no book deals. There was no sponsors. There was no, I mean, it was literally just some recent graduates that got this old beat-up motorhome and that broke down in every city across America. And we, we were under that RV fixing it up with duct tape and coat hangers, all the pipes were strung together with duct tape, you know, liquid steel <laughs> was holding the gas tank together. Um, but, you know, it, there was some serendipity, absolutely, you know what I mean? But it came from the people that we kind of met on the road trip, and it, it kind of was this slow-building network effect, you know, where people would kind of hear about it, tell their friends about it, um, and then the Forbes article led to a connection with the book publisher and the book publisher, you know, it was just, but it happened over a series of several years, you know, and, yes. you know I, yeah, yeah. I tell the story in like five minutes, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, you don't have, we don't have a lot of time, but, but yeah, it, it all, you know, we've been doing road termination for 12 years now. So it, the, the early days, you know, it happened, it felt like nothing was happening, you know, and, and like that it was going painfully slowly, you know, and that we didn't even know where it was going to go or what we should do or if we should go get jobs at Starbucks or whatever, you know, and, um, but we just kind of kept hanging in there and, and little tiny things kept happening, you know. In any project, I suppose, when, you know, I mean, even though you didn't conceptualize it necessarily as what it was going to, you know, end up being, there's always that question of, you're always asking yourself, well, am I dreaming? Is this real? And you're kind of testing the idea and, and, and just hoping you're going to get some kind of, I suppose, feedback and results that, that give you, you know, support for it. But so, let's say take something like the, the Barnes & Noble uh, CEO. What was your attitude? Say, you, you know, you no background, you just, I guess, picked up the telephone. And what was your attitude? Just to keep trying, just to ring everybody? I mean, how, how did you go about that? Because I guess others in the same situation may start with nothing and, you know, I suppose there's some determination or some uh, something like that, that that gets you a bit of the way yeah I mean I think that um, it was helpful that I was doing it with my two buddies you know so we were kind of all just like a support group but and most people said no I mean this was like our first grade you know when you're in school you learn that like failure is a bad thing you know you don't want to get a D on a test or an F on a <laughs> test or something you know but in the real world failure was essential you know like we tried to interview 
everybody. And most people said no, but the ones that said no, because we tried for everyone and we failed probably at least half the time, a few people like Len Riggio said yes, and it was really just about trial and error, you know, and, yeah. and there's nothing yeah. really, there's no real secret sauce or brilliance to it, or it's just kind of trial and error and, yeah. and hanging in there and being able to take your licks. You but know? I and suppose, I suppose there is a kind of a lesson there in the sense of having a big vision and heading for the top. You, you, you didn't, I mean, you could easily have interviewed, you know, uh, and I'm sure you didn't interview a mix of people, but you could have, you know, interviewed local people or, you know, and continued at that focus. But to say, you know, to pitch your idea at a level, say, well, we want to interview some of these really, you know, uh, big figures in corporate life, big, you know, leaders and so forth. And the people say, well, you know, what, what are you thinking? They're never going to say yes. But, you know, basically having that as your vision in the first place that, you know, we will try. And, you know, if we just get one or two, that will be a result. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I mean, we... We, we did not set out just to interview CEOs across America. That's a big misconception, you know. Sure. But, but, you, but you're right. We did try for some of them, and we weren't really afraid to go for some, some people at the top of their game, you know. Um, you know, we also interviewed lobstermen and independent bookstore owners and environmental activists and writers and artists and photographers, you know. But, you know, a few of them were some pretty, pretty interesting people, you know, that, were, that, that are hard to get to, you know. And, and we, we didn't let the fact that they're hard to get to kind of – get in the way we still kind of went for it and, and again like most of them said no but you see a few on the list left over that actually said yes and I think there was a, a degree of just like not being afraid of rejection um, and just kind of going for it and treating them like you would treat anyone else like the lobstermen or and treating the lobstermen like you would treat them you know it was just kind of like this mutual respect thing and and not putting people on different pedestals and and the same thing with their assistants like I remember that being one of the really keys when we were going through it you know it was like if you're going to book someone like the CEO of Barnes & Noble, you have to treat all the people below him like gold, just like you would treat him, you know, and, and just like you treat the lobsterman, you know. And I think because we were recent college grads, we didn't really have a big social hierarchy of like, <laughs> oh, you're just the assistant and we're not going to talk to you. But like <laughs> that, that was a huge life lesson is just treat, treating everybody with respect and being a good human being and – and then people kind of support you, you know. And what, what am I, one of the most powerful quotes that we heard on our road trip was from a, a, a designer in northern Vermont who did a lot of the – who started a firm that did this graphic design for Burton Snowboards and really did a lot of the early kind of creative vision for the snowboard movement. Um, and he told us, when you magnify what you believe in, when you magnify what it is you believe in, the world will cons conspire to support you on your path. <laughs> and, yeah. and I really that was really kind of like theme I felt like during that early period of Road Trip Nation you know was we just kind of magnified what we believed in we try to treat people as human beings and people and we're just not hopefully we weren't overly pretentious or anything like that and people kind of rallied around it you know and that was the key you know like I think in, in anything going from nothing to something and then something bigger you know I feel like it's not just founder driven, you know, it takes an enormous collective of human beings that are just all pushing it and supporting it and giving you a little leg up here and there. And, you know, um, it stands in, uh, in marked contrast to the other, uh, great kind of cliche of, of business, which is, you know, uh, the danger of building a, a, a better mousetrap or a bigger mousetrap and the world would beat a path to your door. You know, that idea that, um, but actually this is saying it's, it's if, if you've got the belief, you know, and, and, and again and again, talking to social entrepreneurs, you do see this, that this, to have this faith or this inner, 
drive, something is keeping them going to 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 reach out and to keep trying and um obviously you know like like anything you you end up talking to seeing people who have you know succeeded with their ventures and there are many who have fallen along the way um and and got up again as well but um it's it's uh it's it's a very good um focus that insight at the heart of what you're doing is this sense that it makes a difference what you do with your life Working in a job, earning a salary and doing something conventional, which on the face of it, you know, might be a successful career strategy or something that might lead you somewhere, which is what most people tend to pursue as against something which is very different, which is really about this finding your passion and pursuing your passion. So uh, I guess just, uh, you know, is that not just being a little bit idealistic? You know, somebody has to you know, uh, you know, uh, wash cars and to, you know, uh, drive buses and things. That's the thing is like, what we've seen is we've interviewed like thousands of people over 12 years and people don't really like pick one thing for their entire life. They don't have just one passion or one interest or one thing that they believe in. It's really about the mashup of lots of different things. And, you know, like, you know, for you, for example, you're kind of like pseudo journalist, someone in technology, someone into social and Social entrepreneurship, you know, it's this matchup of lots of different things, you know, and and I think what we're trying to do is just give a message to young people that it's about identifying things that you're interested in, and it can be cars, it can be a mechanic, it could be a lobster or a truck driver, or it could be curing cancer, or it could be the most important thing is just being honest with yourself about what you really care about, and then really having the courage to, like, double down on it, you know, and the world has changed a lot. I mean, you know... You know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, it was really, it was a more, it was more about kind of finding your one career and sticking with it forever. But, you know, the millennial generation will have an, an average of 15 different jobs. And, you know, it's a much more, it's a much more maybe less settling or much like secure environment, you know, like you might not have the pension plan and the gold watch and the retirement like all set up when you're 55, you know, um, but it's more fluid and more dynamic and you can kind of define your own road and kind of create your own path because there's just lots of more elements out there. And I remember once we had the chance to interview Sir Ken Robinson, um, kind of like the, the, you know, really high profile kind of education thought leader said to us, the world, the world has expanded just infinitely in the last 20 years. He said, for, for example, when I was a kid growing up in England, there was, you know, four TV channels to watch on your television set and maybe two or three magazines you could get from that magazine stand. And he's like, today there's like 20,000, you know, TV stations and there's something called the internet and there's a million magazines and a million scenes and a million niches and little topics and, you know, things that have popped up within it. And it's all there's so many different kind of cracks in culture now that whatever it is you really care about, um, you can kind of find your little tiny space, you know, and it may not be being a super high powered jet flying CEO, but that's not really the point. You know, the point is like finding something that you really believe in. And, um, and I think the social entrepreneurship standpoint is like, you know, find a way to make it matter for people other than yourself. You know, it, it, I think that, and you can find ways of doing that in, in any field. Um, but we've heard that a lot. You know, it's like, I'm going to butcher this quote, and I can't remember who said this to us, but um, there was some interview along one of the road trips. He said, you know, the, find 
you know, the world, don't look, don't look at what the world needs. Look at, like, what, look, look inside yourself and find something you really believe in because the world needs people who have, like, sound with, I'm, I'm not remembering the quote, but, yeah, no, I think that's really yeah. interesting, that idea. Um, so w- on the face of it, it sounds like good sense. What are, what are the obstacles, not just for young people, I, I mean, for, for, for anybody, I guess, on their path? What, what would you say are one or two of the biggest obstacles that stop people from really getting in touch with this, or uh, not just getting in touch with it, but just making this happen? I think it's a mix of just, like, the reality of life, and unfortunately, the sort of social circumstance you grow up in, you know, and that's where, like, that's why I like a lot of our work is focused in low-income communities. You know, the first, we've been around for 12 years. The first five years, we really focused on, you know, college students and doing a TV show based on that. And then we kind of, in 2008, we were like, oh, wow. You know, we realized, like, a majority of students never even make it on to college. And, like, in America, the dropout rate was, like, 30% of the time, you know. And for African-Americans and Hispanic, the dropout rate was, like, 50%. And we just had a good, honest look in the mirror, which is... If we're building a road to nation for college kids who are already kind of on a good path, you know, shouldn't we be bringing it to kids who, you know, need you know, the least opportunity to like, see what's possible for their future? And it kind of shifted our whole our whole strategy. So I think social circumstance, unfortunately, is a huge part of it. You know, what zip code you grow up in um, is a huge barrier. You know, and and the second, and, and then you know, and that's where I think that's just me. That's what I'm personally passionate about. You know, and and but then the the second one is you know like re- regardless of zip code is just kind of outside pressure and or something that we call like noise um, and we we've seen this in thousands of people we've talked to about their roads in life that one thing that makes it really hard when people are starting out on their paths is they might have a sense of what they want to do but there's so much pressure around them whether it's from your parents to be a successful lawyer and go to law school and make mom and dad proud or or whether you're growing up in California Central Valley in a big Latino community and your older brother's in the gang and a lot of the kids we work with 10th grade bullies that's when the older brothers start recruiting them for gangs so their noise is you know come join this career path you know um, so yeah. that the, no, the noise is really kind of a cross class across class systems yeah. Um, but yeah, you you can't ignore that some kids growing up have much more ready access to education and mentors and resources to help them define their path. Yes, but as you say, if so, the, if their goal is to define a path that's a conventional path that they understand rather than something that's unfolding and is new and uncertain as far as they're concerned, it might not be so helpful either. Yeah, you know, and, and there's ways, I think one thing we've seen too is that it's not about like not struggling and not groveling, like everyone, everyone we've seen has had like those, or has failed immensely, that's like a big part of everyone's stories, you know, I mean that's, it's not like there are road trip nation interviewees when there's like normal people, you know, where it's like, but the, the real, but the real thing is if you look at people, I'm sure if we talked about how you got your start, you didn't just like, jump into rose, the rose bed, you know, doing exactly what you want to do right away. People grovel around and fall and fall flat on their face. That's certainly the story of Road Trip Nation. You know, I mean, we are producing a TV show and doing all this stuff, but, like, the first five years of Road Trip, like, no one was getting paid. You know, we were struggling and starving and living on people's couches and deferring student loans. And, and you know, and that's, a, that's part of it. You know, and I think what we're trying to do is really empower this next generation to 
you know, understand that it is possible to identify things that you really believe in, you really care about, and you're really, truly interested in. And if you find those things, you know, you'll have more self-efficacy, you'll have more persistence, more grit, more engagement, and the chances of you kind of making it through all the ups and downs are greater because you believe in it, you know, and, and we're only... We only believe in it so much because we've heard it over 12 years of people telling us because we're basically story collectors, you know. And we've, we've just now, after doing this for 12 years, we're starting to see patterns emerging in terms of how people discover their paths in life. And, and that is one simple, big, enormous pattern that we've seen, you know, is people having the courage to, you know, block or shed some of that noise early on and really try to discover and have opportunities to discover things they're interested in, which is why we work with our curriculum, you know, in the K through 12 level and find things that they really believe in and then explore the world scaffolded off of that framework of things that, you know, matters them. So, you know, that's very interesting. I think one of the things that I think is very interesting is the idea that, um, as you say, it, 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 failure is not a sign that you're on the wrong path you know and I think that's a very interesting question because there's always a balance of judgment you know maybe one year of failure uh, failure you know defined conventionally I don't know you know because failure means different things but once one year of sense of failing some projects are just bigger than others and and take more to reach fruition so I suppose that whole question of how do I know whether what I'm doing is whether I'm going in the right direction or not. What's your advice on, on that question? That's a great question. And yeah, when do you know to like stop or keep going? I don't know if I really know the answer to that. Um, but I think that people oftentimes err too much on the side of, um, or at least like educators, like in a school, for example, err too much on the side of telling kids to kind of redirect courses, you know? Um, like, for example, I was at a big education conference last week, and I was talking to some guy, and he created this curriculum tool, whatever, and it's all about helping students to assess their strengths and weaknesses and kind of basically say, look, so if you're getting, like, a, a D or a C- minus in, like, math or science, try going into, like, history or English. You know what I mean? And it, wasn't, it didn't really ask the question of, are you interested in science? Maybe you should, this is what you need to do to kind of push through it. And yes, you failed with this, but... It's okay, let's keep going, this is part of life. It was all about kind of redirecting away from that. And and his whole perspective was we've got to be honest with kids. You know, if they're not if they're not if they're getting a D in math or getting a C in math, let's let's change their path, you know. And and I, I was like, Yeah, I, I, I agree, I get it, you know. And then I walked away and I was thinking about some people in our archives that we talked to you, and I was thinking of Craig Venter, who's the scientist who decoded the human genome. And part of his story was he said that he got a D minus in high school physics. He almost got he almost got dropped out of school. And I was just thinking like, but he loved science. You know, he was so interested in how things worked and but his brain didn't really work in the traditional school frameworks, you know, he and but that's what allowed him to be such a great scientist because he thought about things so differently. And I don't know. I've just been thinking about that lately. It's funny you asked that question because I don't feel like I have like a direct answer, but I think that it is scary, you know, to think that there are kids out there who may have things they're really interested in and they hit those bumps and they, or they fail, you know, and schools or, or even in career paths, you know, at any point and people tell them, 
could stop or that this isn't going to work out, you know. But in the fact, maybe this is just part of their trial and error and their iteration, you know. You know, I'm sure for some portion it is, okay, look, you got to be realistic. You know, you're not very good at this. But we interviewed Ira Glass as well, who's a big NPR radio host here in America. Yeah, yeah. And he, and, and he played for us in the interview some early some early recordings of when he was first a host, a radio host. And he's like, I'm sharing this with you because so you realize how bad I was when I first started and how horrible I was. <laughs> and, and, the, and the whole lesson he was trying to share was that no matter what you do, you're going to be bad at it when you start out. That's just part of the process. It's about finding something you really believe in. He said, but I, you know, I really, I just connected with radio and telling stories. And, I, and, and that is what kind of got me through those early things. So. So it is a very tricky question, I know, because you're trying to yeah. find you're trying to find general answers to very you know specific situations. Everybody's you know life is different, and you know, and it's such a judgment call there. But it is interesting, I suppose, that particularly in a society which just accentuates the you know instant kind of fame, instant you know everything comes very quickly. You know, I suppose there's an idea of apprenticeship and spending time, and that just understanding that that's you know the, the way things work normally you know that that it's not an aberration for a writer for example that they write for five years seven years ten years have you know many many works rejected but that is just the way it goes you know that's the process right. and it's some it's something about i think understanding the ground rules and and not feeling i suppose that that you you know you're an anomaly and you know the the, the one that doesn't fit in at the beginning the other thing I was interested to, to get a sense of uh, at the heart of what, what you're talking about is this defining yourself and your values and your views and really getting a sense of that. Do you think, you know, on, on, on the, the run of the mill kind of everyday life that people ask themselves those questions in, in the right way? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a huge gap of that, that, yeah, that type of reflection. And and that's, that's really why we're doing what we're doing. You know, I mean, right now, if you look, say you're in an education setting, right, and you're kind of asking yourself those questions, the typical kind of process is to go to your guidance counselor, go to your career center, and then they give you, like, a, a personality assessment test, like the Myers-Briggs test, you know, or, or tools like that that were made really in the 1950s. Very, it's still very post-World War II um, kind of aesthetic in more industrial age, you know? Yeah. And... This was kind of Ken Robinson's whole point when we were talking to him. was like, the world has changed so much since then, but um, how we're expecting students to kind of find their path is still very, you know, it's still very, it's still based on a different kind of era, you know, yeah. when it was more more mechanical. But, but the, the vast, enormous difference is that the world has proliferated with so many niches and so many pathways and so many things, and... Yeah, I love that image of like when he, when Ken was, Sir Ken was growing up in England, there was three or four television channels. You know, now there's, you know, thousands and the internet. And not only is there a, a TV channel like Channel 4 in England or whatever, there's now like the health channel and the travel channel. There's entire, and around that there are careers and travel magazines and travel things and travel nonprofits and, you know, we met, and now volunteerism and social enterprises and that. And, you know, it's just like, I don't think that the career exploration space or the career guidance or however you technically want to call it have caught up with that, that, that the world is, yes, it's a little more scary now because there's less security and less pension and less stuff like that, but 
there's also lots of opportunity and lots of places where you can really match the suite of things that you that matter most to you. And one of the things that we're trying that as we get a little deeper into reflecting on like what we've learned in the last 20 years through all these interviews is that people don't choose one thing and they're that thing like forever. You know, like it's really the mashup of lots of different things. Um, so we have this new tool on our website that's in beta right now, which is roadtripnation.com forward slash roadmap. Yes. And uh, you check it out. But it's, it's like basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to like replace the Myers-Briggs test with something more like this. It's not ready quite yet, but it's, you can kind of get a feel for it. But it's, it's based on the premise that, you know, people have lots of different interests. And, you know, say like, you know, a sports writer for a new technology, you know, website or something, you know, someone who works there might be interested in sports, interested in technology, and interested in writing. It's not like they had to choose a career in technology, being a professional athlete, or writing. It was a mashup of those three things. And yeah, so yeah, there's, a, there's, yeah. An, there's an enormous amount of pressure on kids to think one-dimensionally and to be like, oh my gosh, writing. Or, and then they're like, but I'm interested in sports too. But it's thinking about it in terms of, in different dimensions of the mashup of those things, because that's the truth. And how most people, when you, and that's what road traditions are doing, is like kind of assessing how people have found their roads in life. And it's, it's less, it's so dimensional. And we're trying to get students to think that way, you know. Um, and the roadmap is kind of like one first tool that we've developed that's, you know, free, open, we're just trying to get it out there. Um, Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Scott yeah. Adams, Dilbert. Uh, he's American. He's very, very successful. He's American cartoonist. He's. I think he's the most successful uh, selling uh, cartoonist in the world. But I, I, I heard an interview with him and he was talking about, they said he's not the greatest cartoonist in the world, but he's quite good. And he's not the greatest writer in the world, but he's quite good. And he's not the greatest businessman in the world. But he's quite good. So it was an idea of, you know, that the, it wasn't this one special thing that distinguished him. Um, but the, the fact that it was a few things in which he was, you know, uh, interested in and quite good at. I, I think that is like the future. And in terms of how people can climb the road, you know, it's, it's not as much about, yeah, I think that's it. You know, and, and, and that requires some really deep reflection and exploration. And and more stories like that that get out there into the world, I think, give people a sense of hope. How long, I mean, this question of understanding yourself, your values and your views, you know, it's not something that presumably, you know, you do in an evening. I mean, what kind of sense of that process, you know, how that process works? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. So we... Our mission is to empower people to define their own roads in life, and it, it was very intentional. Instead of saying "find your roads in life," because it's one thing we've seen is that people never really find their roads, and then that's it. You know, I mean, again, maybe that was like the previous generation of "I'm going to be a mailman," or you know, but there are so many different. That's the thing is like it's this constant state of reflection and adapting and adding different layers and and just being like having more of a compass than an actual roadmap. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think you're right that it's something that you do throughout your entire life and, and that's, you're kind of catching us at a time with Road Trip Nation where we're starting to really reflect on that, which is right now we're really focused on mostly high school students and, and high risk communities. Um, we do have some programs happening on colleges, but we do see an enormous need 
for people of all ages. You know, that's kind of why we've been playing with this roadmap concept because it's something that could be, you don't have to do it if you're in school. Anyone could do it through, through the web, through an app, whatever. Um, but we've seen enormous kind of, you know, need for some type of framework to help people reflect on that throughout their entire lives. So, you mentioned that this has been a journey and has been, you know, challenging. Who or what inspires you, Mike, and what keeps you going? I, I, I get inspired by people who have, like, built big things and, like, keep, keep doing it. Um, like the co-founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard. Yeah. I've always wanted to interview him, but we never, we never got an interview with him, but he... And he's built his company. He's still, he runs, been running it for so long. He still, he still does it, you know. And he, he, he built it. It's out there, but he, he just believes in it so much. It's like a part of who he is, you know. And, um, yeah. So stories, you know. I mean, I, I guess Road Nation's kind of like a reflection of us personally a little bit too. You know, we just like I get really inspired by people's personal stories, like the story you just told me, like the, the Dilbert guy, you know, and, and. And I wish we, you know, I just love talking to them about their stories, and people about their stories, and and yeah, people that just like don't retire, I guess, you know. Um, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna go play golf for the rest of my life or something like that, you know. Like, I get inspired by people who like found something that they just do till like they die, you know. They believe in that much. And Absolutely excellent. That's wonderful. And, uh, and, and indeed, many social entrepreneurs and uh, impact entrepreneurs I've spoken to, when I ask them what you know about what inspires them, very often it's the the people that they work with, and that's what gets them up in the morning, and that's what drives them the, the experiencing their lives and their change in their lives. So thank yeah. you for your time, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.